How we doing, family? Doing all right? Everybody feels good? Yeah, I'm excited to be here. If I have not had the pleasure of meeting you, my name is Eddie. Uh, I get the privilege and the honor uh, to serving here uh, as a location pastor. And all that means is that I'm just here for you guys. And uh, just to encourage you along uh, the journey of life, uh, I tell you, uh, uh, speaking of honor and speaking of a privilege, uh, I just want to give honor where honor is due. Uh, could we give it up for uh, Pastor Justin, uh, our lead pastor? Thank you for the opportunity, Pastor. Thank you. I'll tell you, Sundays is my favorite day of the week. Uh, I don't know. If, do you, does anybody else have a favorite day of the week? Maybe like Taco Tuesday? Maybe Friday Night Lights, high school football. Uh, a shout out to uh, Lake Howell, uh, the Silverhawks. We took care of business. There we go. There we go. It's amazing what God is doing in and through uh, the football program there. Uh, uh, what about uh, uh, college football? Pastor John, you like that? Saturday? Saturday, I know that uh, Alabama whooped on my uh, hurricanes, but it's all right. It's all right. It's all right. But Sundays, I'll tell you, Sundays, I I I'm electrified on Sundays. It's like literally Saturday nights is like Christmas Eve for me. I just get super excited, and, and I wake up early. I'm a morning person. Any other morning persons here, Mo morning people? Yeah, we got a lot of them. There we go. Why don't you come to the early service then? <laughs> but I'm, I'm telling you, but I got to be careful because my wife of 20 years, my beautiful bride, Nelson, I love you. I love you. She's not a morning person, and what makes matters worse, she's, she's a light sleeper. And so I'm over here trying to, like, I'm talking about a light sleeper. I, I, I grab my phone and the flashlight, and the flashlight will interrupt her sleep. So literally, I'm channeling the, the, the flashlight on my phone, and I'm trying to be like a ninja, but I'm 285 pounds. I'm a big boy, and so it's more like Beverly Hills Ninja, and I'm, I'm over here like falling on things, and, and she's just, I, I got to just be careful there. What about deep sleepers? Any deep sleepers in the house? Deep sleepers. Like you wake up, you walk the dog, and like all the trees are on the floor, like there was a tornado, and, and you, you, you were asleep through it. Any sleepwalkers? Any sleepwalkers or parents of sleepwalkers? Oh, there, yeah, there we go. There we go. See, it's unbelievable that, that some people in the state of sleep can do, uh, can drive, can do really what people do when, when they're awake. I actually read an article. Uh, it was a story of a 13-year-old girl in London who was found miles away from her home. She had walked and then climbed a crawler crane and was found asleep on top of the crawler crane. And you're like, well, how did that even happen? She was asleep. She was sleepwalking. Pastor Eddie, why are you talking about sleep? Why are you talking about light sleep, deep sleep? Why are you talking about sleepwalkers? Like you're getting me talking. What, what's up? I believe, actually the Bible speaks to this, that many people are living this, this journey of life asleep and unaware of the spiritual realities that be. And my hope for our time together is that the scripture would illuminate and would awaken our understanding to where you are at spiritually. We're going to be in John 11. John 11, and just a little bit of context as to this scripture, as to this chapter. The whole chapter is about uh, a mother, well, I'm sorry, two sisters, Martha and Mary, and Jesus, and Lazarus. So those are the, the, the main characters of the story. Um, and Jesus, the, the central figure of our faith, he makes some claims here in John 11. I'm talking about some bold claims. And any claim, any claim has to be backed by what? Works. I can't say I'm Superman and not be able to fly. And so Jesus makes this claim that he is the resurrection and the life. He's the resurrection and the life. And spoiler alert, he actually wakes up uh, uh, Lazarus. He actually brings this man from death to life out of the tomb. We see here a miracle. And I put just a working definition here, a miracle of a miracle. And it's an unexplainable anomaly that is orchestrated by God 
to accomplish his agenda. Simply put, it's something that would not, could not, or should not have happened, absent of God making it happen. You see, Jesus comes on the scene not to bring about a modification, or an alteration, or an adjustment. Pastors can do that. Colleagues can do that. Books can do that. Man, even some forms of religion, they can do that. But Jesus comes about to bring a metamorphosis, a true change in, in character, a true change in substance, a true change in form. Better put, Jesus doesn't come just to give you better morals. He wants to give you a better life. And although that this scripture is speaking of a physical death and a physical resurrection, make no mistake about it, this is painting a very clear picture of a spiritual death and resurrection in our life. And so we're going to pick it up at verse 32. Hopefully you have your Bibles. If not, it's up on the screen. When Mary arrived and saw Jesus, she fell at the feet and said, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. Quick side note, don't mistake in hardship or trouble to indicate God's absence. Man, if you would have been here, our God is a God of intentionality. Keep it reading. That was a side note. That wasn't on the notes. That's a little free there. 33. When Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up within him, and he was deeply troubled. Troubled. Where have you put him? He asked them. They told him, Lord, come and see. Then Jesus wept. The people who were standing nearby said, see how much he loved them? But some said, the man healed the blind man. Couldn't he kept Lazarus from dying? Deeply moved. Deeply troubled. And he knew that he was going to raise Jesus, uh, Lazarus from the grave. So it wasn't that. But I really believe that our Savior Jesus in that moment, a God who is compassionate, a God who, who sees our heart and, and sees our struggle, for that moment, he saw the consequences of sin. And he saw all the people who would never be awakened spiritually. Verse 38, Jesus was still angry as he arrived at the tomb, a cave with a stone rolled across the entrance. Roll the stone aside, Jesus told them. Everybody say them. But Martha, the dead man's sister, protested, Lord, he's been dead for four days. The smell will be ter uh, terrible. And so important here, four days. This was not the first resurrection, a miracle that Jesus performs. He had raised the, the, the widow's son. He also raised the daughter of Jairus. But here, four days had passed. And superstition, a lot of the Jews believed that within three days, the spirit could return to the body. And so this was a definitive moment. Again, our God is a God of intentionality that he would allow for that time to lapse, that there would be no doubt that he is the resurrection and the life. God's power defies human reasoning and science. Verse 40, Jesus responded, didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believe? So they rolled the stone aside. Then Jesus looked up at heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me, but I said it loud for your sake, for the sake of all the people uh, standing here, so that they will believe you sent me. Faith, family, it allows for us to see and experience God's glory. Verse 43, and we're going to take it from 43 to 46. Then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet bound in grave clothes, his face wrapped in a headcloth. Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. He told who? He told them. It's going to be important in just a bit. Many of the people who were with, with Mary believed in Jesus when they saw this happen, but some, but some went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. What a sad moment there, family. 
that in the face of a miracle, seeing the power of God up front and personal, that even then some didn't believe. I believe that all of us can fall. All of us in this room, everyone watching online, could fall in one of three spiritual states of being. And the first is in the tomb, spiritually dead. We're going to do one, two, and three. Very important here, guys. In the tomb, spiritually dead. All of us start here, and unfortunately, many of us remain here the rest of our lives. So what put us here? What has put us in this spiritual state of being? It's sin. It's the fall. Genesis 3, God gives clear direction. There's consequence to disobedience. It was, it was God's word, but yet the deceiver, the enemy, comes. And he comes against God's truth. And in that moment, in that moment, they made a decision to disobey God. And as a direct result of this, the doctrine of sin. Watch this right here, Romans 5. Watch this. Therefore, sin came into the world through one man and death as a result of sin. So death spread to some. Spread to, spread to, spread to all. Not just bad people, not just Hitler, not just the Taliban, to all people. No one being able to stop it or to escape its power because all men sinned. The Bible is very clear that no one is righteous. No, not one. And God didn't create evil, but he willed it to exist. He gave us a decision. He gave us an opportunity to decide. If not, it would be bondage, not love. So direct, as a direct consequence to this, every person who would be conceived would start here in the tomb, spiritually dead, and absent of a resurrection and life, we remain there, paying the penalty of sin, which is death. That's the first spiritual state of being. The reality is, again, all of us will fall in one of three. The second one is out of the tomb in grave clothes. So Lazarus came out. He was resurrected. And for some of us who have experienced a resurrection and a life, and we'll talk about that a little later, we are now out of the tomb. We're spiritually awakened, but we're still in this body. And these grave clothes, it was a mummification process where they would wrap you from head. He actually had a, a head cloth and wrapped all the way down to the toes. And these ra grave clothes, they represent spiritual bondage, restrictions, limitations, wrapped in shame, wrapped in guilt, wrapped in captivity, and that head cloth around your ears, not able to, to hear properly and not, be, not being able to see things properly. And your mind is wrapped with ideas and inclinations and, and, and patterns and behaviors of this world. And there are three things that keep us in this spiritual state of being. And the first is the body. So the body comes out, so you're awakened spiritually, but you're still in this body. And there's natural draws and tendencies of the body. If we're real. Like there are some draws of the flesh. You're like, oh my goodness. And that's that sin nature. That's remnants of the grave, there's also an enemy. The same enemy in Genesis 3. It's the same enemy that we're up against. The accuser of the brethren. Father of lies. Comes with a, an agenda. A job description of stealing, killing, and destroying. You see, he can't put us back in the tomb. But he could keep us in captivity. 
And the third thing that stops us from being free from the grave clothes is the world that we're in. The consequences of a fallen world, a culture that continually goes against the very things of God, the very word of God, which challenges the word of God directly. And so that is the second spiritual state of being. And then the third spiritual state of being, which is God's preferred future and hope, is alive and free. Is alive and free. And here, you're not perfect, but you're no longer enslaved and led by sin and that sin nature. No longer does it have you bound. Now there's a true understanding. There's a, an inner peace, a joy, an assurance, a security in who you are. An understanding of what you do. A true understanding of why. Why God has you here. Like a why power. You have an opportunity now here in this state of being to leave a legacy, to leave an impact. And this, the fruit of being in this spiritual state of being is your time, talents, and treasures. Like how you see time. Do you see it as an opportunity the Bible's clear that we're here today, and we're gone tomorrow. I don't know how many people in the last 30 days I've buried. I don't know. But just like this, it happens. How do you see time? And are you wasting it, or are you spending it and investing it and seeing the opportunities with the amount of time? Do you see yourself as an eternal being having a temporary experience on this earth? Like, do you see time in that way? What about your talents? Like, are you discovering and identifying those gifts and those talents. God discovery is also self-discovery. And God has put uh, in each and every one of us special gifts and talents to be used. You will be held accountable. You will have to give it to an account to God as to what you did with the gifts and the talents that he's given you. Not to sit on them, but to identify what those are and to use them to leave an impact in the lives of others as you're navigating this journey of life. And then your treasures. Is it, is it for me, myself, and I? How much can I accumulate? Or is it, God, every, every good thing comes from you, Lord. You bless me. And as, as you bless me, God, I'm going to use this blessing. And so this is not my house. This is your house. Thank you, God, for this house. I'm going I'm to have small groups here. I'm going to have opportunities to gather here. I'm going I'm I'm to use whatever you give me, Lord, to make an impact in the lives of others. Three spiritual states of being. In the tomb, out of the tomb with grave clothes, or alive and free. And I want to talk about how, because I really believe that all of us want to be right here. Like if we're, if, we're, if we're real with ourselves, no one wants to be in a tomb, spiritually dead. Nobody wants to be wrapped in captivity and, 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 and wrapped in shame and guilt, wrapped in sin that trips us up. We all desire to be right here. And so I want to give you the answer. I want to give you the, 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 the main point for today. And this is the how. We need to hear, we need to receive, and we need to respond to God's word, which involves his people. And it sounds so simple. It really does sound simple, but it's not easy. Jesus actually speaks to this. You see, we can't confuse information for transformation. Now, you need information to bring about transformation, but information by itself will not bring about transformation. If that was the case, the most read people would be the most transformed people, and that's not always the case. And so Jesus speaks to this issue, this dilemma of maybe hearing, but not being able to receive. 
And if we can't receive his word, there'll be no transformation. We won't be able to respond to it. And it's in Matthew 13. Look what Jesus says here. It says, this fulfills the prophecy of Isaiah that says, when you hear what I say, you will not understand. When you hear what I do, you will not comprehend. For the hearts of these people are hardened and their ears cannot hear and they have closed their eyes so their eyes cannot see and their ears cannot hear and their hearts cannot understand and they cannot turn to me and let me heal them. This is in conjunction with, this is coming after a parable that he gives regarding seed and soil. The seed representing God's word, his truth, falling on different types of soil which represent the heart. He said that some of the, the seed fell where there were thorns and, and there were weeds and it choked it out. And that indicates and that represents the worries. And many of us, we come into a place like this and we're hearing God's word but through a podcast or online or whatever the case may be, but it never takes root because it's choked out by the worries. You can't even think about what I'm saying right now because you're consumed and worried about what the world is going to do to you. You're worried about the situation or the circumstance. It's the worries of life. It stops us. Another type of soil that represents, again, the condition of the heart that, that, that prevents us from, from receiving God's word was the rock. It fell on the rock, which is offense. Offense in the heart. And offense creates offense, which prevents God's truth from truly taking root in our heart so we can respond and be transformed. People hurt us in this life. We live in a life, in a world. There's imperfect people who make imperfect decisions. And they hurt us. The very people that we love, the very people that we contribute our lives to and, and want to help, and that's our intent. People betray us. People hurt us. But if we're not careful, what the enemy does is it creates this, these rocks, this offense, and now we can't receive God's word. The other type of soil which represents a condition of the heart was the pavement, and that's idols. Idols in our life. Something that we put, either a thing or a person, above God's truth, above God. So I would never do that. But if you really think about it, God says this, but my mentor says that. Or God says this, but the situation dictates this. And now when you put people or when you put things above God's truth and God's authority, now you can't receive God's word. And so I want to talk about how this, truly hearing, receiving, and responding to God's word, which involves his people, how it applies to the different spiritual states of being. We're going to touch on the tomb in just a bit, but I want to talk about the one, uh, the spiritual state of being right here, which is in uh, the grave clothes. The word of God, it reveals. It reveals those areas. Hebrews 12, it talks about that we should throw off the things that stop us, that slow us down, that weigh us down, and throw off the sin. The sin which trips us up, which entangles us. And it reveals, the word of God reveals, it sheds light on these different areas where we're still in bondage. We're still allowing the enemy to win in these different areas because we are enslaved and in captivity. It also heals. God's word heals. He says, come to me all who are weary and I will give you rest. And you get punched in the face by this world and you will. That's the reality. When you face trouble, in this life, you will have trouble, but be of good cheer. 
How? When we go into God's word, it heals us. It restores us. It gives us a strength. Well, we can come up with a, a supernatural endurance. It's also, it also removes. It also removes. Write that down. Removes. And this is where God's people come into the equation. So here we're receiving and responding to God's word, which involves his people. This is how people come in. And it removes these, these layers. And this is why people, it's so important to have the right people in your life that are going to call some things out that the word of God with the right accountability, write this down, fulfillment, faithfulness, and fruitfulness is tied to our relationships. And this is so important. This is why we do small groups. This is why we do the A-team and, 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 and set up an opportunity that you could come together so you have the right people. Relational intelligence. We always talk about IQ. Right? There's uh, but, but EQ and and, 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 and now there's social quotient and all this stuff. But relational intelligence, which is the ability to define and align relationships, is crucial in this life. Because the reality is, not everybody that's with you is for you. And not everybody that's with you wants you to be removed from the spiritual state of being, of being in captivity. So Eddie, how? Why would anybody want to see me in captivity, wrapped in my shame, wrapped in my guilt? Why? Why would they do that? their people. The Bible speaks to that. Misery loves what? Company. Bad company corrupts good character. And why is that? Because if I'm in captivity, wrapped in my sin, wrapped in, 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 in blocked by strongholds, which set itself up against the knowledge of God, and I have my own understandings, and I'm being led by the flesh, I'm in captivity, held there and bound there by the enemy, moved by culture, led by my flesh, now my stench is not as great or powerful if I'm next to somebody that stinks. Does that make sense? Because there's still, there's still that sin nature that smells. It's, it's, and so now, now that are people in your life. And I, 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 kind of, I kind of equate this to like a, a fruit inspection. The Bible says, you'll know a tree by what? It's fruit, the Bible says. And so, so these people in your life, are, are they? Are they? This is important. And that's the removal process. It also reminds. It also reminds. I want, to talk about, I want to talk about this spiritual state of being right now. So once we're free, we have the right accountability. We have, we have now are, are free and no longer led and enslaved by sin. Now we're in this spiritual state of being. And I want to talk about how hearing, receiving, and responding to God's word, which involves his people, will keep us here. It reminds us. It reminds us. It reminds us that neither... Uh, death, nor life, nor angels, nor things, uh, angels, demons, uh, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor anything in all of creation can separate us from God. It reminds us of who we were. It reminds us of the freeing power. It reminds us that he who the Son sets free is what? Free indeed. It reminds us. It reminds us that if God is for us, then who could be? This is what happens when we hear and we truly receive. We truly receive and then respond to God's word that we could be here in this spiritual state of being, making an impact, leaving a legacy with the time that God gives you here. It also guides us. The Bible says that the word of God is a lamp onto our feet, a light onto our path, and it guides us. It's a roadmap allowing us to see the opportunities. It also keeps us. It's the word of God. This is what it does here. It's what it does here. This application of hearing, receiving, and responding to God's word, which involves his people, it also keeps us. It keeps us. The enemy wants to put you back in captivity. 
He wants to keep you in captivity because no longer you are, are, are you effective here. And so it keeps us. It keeps us from, from going back to that, that, that state. And when we stumble, instead of being bamboozled and swindled and, and brought back in here, that we could repent and we could go. And it keeps us. The word of God keeps us. And how does it happen? How does it keep us? Through proximity. Through proximity. Proximity to his word puts us in proximity to Jesus. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and the word became flesh, Jesus. And so now as we, as we are hearing and receiving and responding to God's word, we now see the example, which is Jesus. And now we can become the example. Gifts impact. I'm sorry, gifts impress. But example, that's the one that impacts. And the reality is this, that we are called to be an example and in this spiritual state of being right here, as we're continuing to receive God's word, we can be. We can be the example that speaks to what it looks like to follow Jesus and to be set free by his power. I have a, a, a line on my board, a line on my board. And it says, leaders tell, but never teach until they practice what they preach. Anybody can talk about it. Are you living it? Are you being the example? And that's application after you hear, receive, and respond to God's word. Being with intimate with Jesus, intimate with his living and active word. And that's what leads us. It leads us, the Holy Spirit, because of that, the response to that. Now we're led by the Holy Spirit. We're led by the Holy Spirit to those opportunities that he presents with us or to us. We're, we're, we're led to, to, those, to those areas in our life where he wants us to be. On the, there's some scripture here on, on the Holy Spirit here. He says, hey, I'm going to leave. If you leave, love me, keep my commandments. And I will give you another advocate. That's the Holy Spirit. And so he gives us it that will never leave us, that he's going to guide us in all truth. And so now it's no longer your power, but it's the power that lives within you, the Holy Spirit, which leads you. I love Galatians 5.25. Look at this. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. It leads us. Hearing, receiving, responding to God's word, which involves his people. His people here is the church. Is the church. The body of Christ. Jesus, the head. The church, the body. That, that we are the light. We are the salt. We are the hands. We are the feet. That you are called from an understanding that, that he's brought you out. And if you're here, that you are to be connected to the local body, being a representation to the people in, in, in the tomb. By, by the way you live your life, by the way you're led, true change. Oh, no, there's no way we can live a life of purity. There's no way we can live a life of obedience. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. And the church will allow opportunities that, of outreaches and all these things that we do here. And I tell you, as a pastor, I love it here. I love it here. I love it here, alive and free. And man, it's the church. Only thing that God is coming back for is the delivery system of the gospel, the, 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 the local church. As a pastor, I love this. Creating opportunities for people to use their God-given talents and abilities. I love that. I love opportunities that, that we go out and we're truly the hands and feet of Jesus here at Action. I, I love that. 
And, and I love the, this sick, second spiritual state of being here, with the, the seeing people through, through hearing and receiving and responding to God's word, which involves his people, that, that, that it reveals and it heals. And, and now people are no longer bound by their past. No longer are they led by that sinful nature. No longer are they tripping up. This process of sanctification, becoming more like Jesus. I love that. So we have action recovery and we have all these different areas where, where we have community, where people could be set free from these grave clothes. But the group of people, my God, the group of people that, that keep me up at night are the people right here in the spiritual state of being. In the tomb. In the tomb. In the tomb. Spiritually dead. And on August 15th, it was the day that, that prompted this, this idea for this message. Uh, I finished third service hosting. Host clothes. A lot of you guys, you guys, you guys miss host clothes anyway. It's all right. I get it. It's all right. It's all right. I don't, I don't take any offense to that. It's all right. I'm doing host clothes and I'm done there. And man, I jump in my car. We lost one of our brothers here. We lost one of our brothers here. We were really believing in a miracle. I went to the ICU a couple weeks before that. Really was believing that God was going to bring him out of the coma. And man, sometimes God doesn't answer the prayer the way we would have wanted it. And so a couple weeks later, he dies, August 15th. I run, I run over there, feet, feet to the cemetery, and I, and I get out of my car, and I'm praying, I'm, I'm waiting. God, what do you want me to share with these people, right? What do you want me to share? And the, and the casket comes, and, the, and, the, and they, they, they come out, and man, you got the family crying, right? Got the family crying. There's a, there's a moment there where, where the casket then begins to, to, to go down. Begins to go down. And one of our other brothers here, he has a saxophone and he begins to play this song. It's an old song. It's, uh, that, that, that I could only imagine. I could only imagine it. I begin to profess God's good use that we don't mourn like the, like the world. And in and, and, and that day, there'll be no more pain, no more sorrow, no more crying. All these things will be gone for And I'm just professing this, this, the word of God. And the casket begins to, to drop down. And I began to think, I began to think like, what is my dignity? Who's going to come? What will they say? But then all of a sudden, I, I just began to shift about like, what this is going to look for, for me with my Savior, my Jesus? Am I ever going to be able to stand? Am I going to be able to speak? Am I going to kneel? Like, what is this even going to look like? And in that moment, I thought about the people here. Because the reality is this, family. Either you receive a spiritual awakening in this life or in the life to come. But you will receive a spiritual awakening. The Bible's clear on that. There's another story of a man named Lazarus and a rich man. Jesus speaks to this. That they died and they're awakened. In spiritual destinations, eternal destinations, Lazarus in the bosom of Abraham, the rich man in hell. We don't like to talk about this. We don't like to really get down and dirty with this, but that's the reality. And the reality for many, the Bible says that the road here is wide and broad and many 
You know what this man says? Understand. See, there's conscience in hell. In hell. Understand who, who he was and what he had done. He's paying the penalty of sin and torment. And there's a great chasm in between. And he says, hey, give me some more. He's in torment. He says, no, we can't cross here. Look at what he does here. He says, okay. Okay. If you can't come to me, please send Lazarus back to my five brothers. For surely, for surely if they see a dead man who was brought back to life, surely they will believe. Surely. Father Abraham responds. He says, if they did not listen to Moses, they didn't listen to the prophets, they won't even believe a dead man who was brought back to life. Family, I'm not a, I'm not a prophet. Obviously, I'm not Moses. When I look back at my life, I just celebrated my, my 41st birthday right now, and they came out, and we we're going to do an outreach. And it was the day before, so it caught me completely off surprise. They bought a cake, and I, th and I thought about I, I thought about all the years. It hit me right there. It was emotional because for so many of my birthdays, I was in captivity, addicted to drugs, tripped up by lust own inclinations, my own patterns, following the patterns and behaviors of this world, a wretch. But one day, I called upon the name of Jesus. I needed him. I needed him. And I called upon his name, and I was at my lowest point, my lowest point, family. And I was in need of a miracle. What Jesus was able to do, his power, his resurrection power, he is the resurrection and the life. That night, the doctors say, hey, she's going to die. And I remember just having this grief, having this pain, and, and it was this understanding of how much of a wretch I was and how much pain I had caused people and who I really was. And God provided a miracle. And he healed my daughter. He healed my daughter. But the greater miracle is how he was able to resurrect me spiritually. And that is it right there, family. Hearing, receiving, and responding to God's word is acknowledging that you're a sinner. No one is righteous, no, not one. And unless that happens, there's been something that has been blocking that. Jesus in John 11 says, Remove the stone. And I believe that the stone has been removed. And I want to give you the opportunity to acknowledge that you're a sinner. It's not checking a box. It's not, it's not what, no, no. It's true repentance right here. And true faith in not just the name of Jesus, but in the person and in the works of Jesus. That he came and he died as you and for you. That what you deserved, acknowledging what you deserve, but God would die as a substitute of you, for you, born of a virgin, died a sinner's death. You went for me, rose on the third day, giving us victory. With every head bowed, every eye closed, I want to give you that opportunity to put your faith in Jesus now. But maybe you've walked an aisle before, you've raised your hand before, 
But if you're honest with yourself, I believe this is the conviction of the Holy Spirit, you've been in captivity. And for you, it is repentance again. It is repentance. It's turning from that, acknowledging that, and giving it to God, the one who has the power. Jesus tells Martha in John 11, he says, hey, I'm the, I'm the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will never die, will never die. See, for every man, they die once. But then after that judgment, he says, hey, Martha, who do you say I am? So if you want to place your faith in Jesus right now by professing him as Lord and Savior, believing in your heart, this word, this gospel that I've presented, you're in here and you're in captivity and you want to be set free in the name of Jesus by the power of Jesus. As a sign of faith, I want you to raise your hand so I can pray for you. No one's looking. God bless you, sir. God bless you, ma'am. God bless you. Yes, I see you in the back. This is, a, this is death to life. This is a spiritual awakening in the name of Jesus. I see you all the way in the back, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Is there anyone else? Hallelujah. Yes, I see you. I see you, sir. God bless you. God bless you, sir. Say a prayer like this, something like this. As I say it out loud, God, I thank you for saving a wretch and a sinner like me. I turn to you. Let it be that I live for you. Come into my heart. Reside in my heart. Make me different. You came to, to set me free. I'm now free in the name of yours, of your son. I pray for everybody else in here that we would live a life of intentionality that we would pursue to hear and receive and respond to, to your word, God. That we would be life changers because we have the life changer in us. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen and amen. Come on, let's celebrate those decisions, family.